Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Shoot Nandy will be joining us. This is a guy who is on a quest, a mission to achieve sustainable compliance in five years. What does that mean? I had to ask. You'll find out because we're diving deep, deep into deep technology. So you're going to need some deep thinking when we talk about not only blockchain technology, but what it means for deep technology. So sit down. It's going to get deep right here with deep technology and Shub Nandy at the table with Business Soup. Shub, welcome to Business Soup. Thanks, John. Pleasure to be part of your program. It's a pleasure to have you as a guest on our show. We're going to be talking about a few things. One of is the pie chain that you are involved with, as well as deep technology and artificial intelligence. And I know they all weave together, and we're going to try and figure out how it can be woven in to help my audience of small business owners. Off air, we were talking about what pie chain is. It sounds like you're dealing with online currencies. How does that work and and how does your company work to help those in that space? Well, John, what we are doing here is that we are fighting for a global cause, right? So uh, using technology, advanced technology like AI and uh, and cognitive science, uh, basically uh, you have AI, which is more about making your machines more smarter. But when you add a cognitive thought process to these machines, they almost think like a human being. And what we're doing here is that we are using smart machines like this to break the nexus of bad money. All right, let me back up for a moment. You're, you are utilizing what sounds like artificial intelligence where it is, the machine is learning from the decisions that are being made so that it can make faster and accurate decisions for you on its own. Absolutely, John. I think what we are trying to achieve here is that a system like a human being, we learn from our circumstances, we learn from uh, different events or actions that happens in our life, right? We learn from them or experiences that happen in our life, right? We learn from them and then uh, based on our experiences, we make better decisions. So it's a similar machine, right? Uh, Which learns from the various experiences, even can go into the internet, do surfing all by itself, understand, explore, read, and become smarter. Okay, so experiences that we have in our lives, you and I are both in the extreme sports type of thing. So if you did as you like to do in bungee jumping and things didn't work out well, you would use that experience to do it again better. Same type of technology or decision processing that you're teaching the computers, but without jumping off a cliff. Absolutely, John. Yes. (laughs) All right. So these decisions, what kind of decisions is this artificial intelligence or these systems making in this electronic currency? First of all, for example, right, I think let's give a very uh, simple example. Since we cover money laundering, we cover fraud. So let's talk about a bit about fraud. So uh, most of us pre-COVID world have been traveling across. We have gone to uh, multiple different places for vacations. And uh, many of us have experienced this, right? So as we went for a vacation uh, to a very new place, and then we tried to buy something, we swapped our credit card, and the transaction got blocked. Now, you typically had to call your customer service center, customer service center, getting the customer service center 30, 35 minutes. And then again, 45 minutes, probably the customer service center would uh, ask you a set of questions, verify that you are the 
real person, your your legitimate identity is verified, background verification with the backend teams, right? And then uh, they finally understand that you are the right person and they uh, basically unblock your transaction. So which typically like a two hours of your great holiday time is actually lost. On the other side, probably after a whole day of hard work, you probably came back home and you probably went to sleep. Somewhere probably two o'clock or three o'clock in the very early morning, uh, you suddenly probably uh, got a message that somebody has taken some money from your account. But you realize because you are very much tired and uh, and you realize probably only when you woke, woke up in the morning that, well, uh, a few thousand dollars have been taken from your account. Now, these are real scenarios uh, and these are real incidents happening with people. Frauds are real, frauds happen, and the banking system, unfortunately, not able to catch them. Now, let's talk about a bit on the money laundering side. Most of the legitimate banking system has been utilized, unfortunately, for all the illicit transfers. So roughly every year, US dollar, one trillion money is is something which is laundered. Laundered being from illicit activities, whether they be drugs or illegal activities, when you talk about laundering. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there are multiple of them, like there is terrorist funding, there is child trafficking, there is drugs, and multiple other variant of scams which happen, right? And there is organized frauds uh, via which this money is is laundered. Uh, So A is fraud, uh, which happens, and B is money laundering. So when it comes to frauds, uh, it's typically an organized group uh, which utilizes the loopholes of banking system and individuals uh, who are banking customers, and they primarily take out the money. Then comes the money laundering part, which is primarily organized groups who uh, leverage the loopholes in the banking and regulatory space primarily to uh, launder money. So it is that space where you have to become smarter than these organized fraud groups or these organized money laundering rackets. And that's where our system comes into aid and makes the banking system much, much smarter to understand A, the frauds, B, the organized money launderings. What you've described is involved in what has been called blockchain applications. Is that what we're talking about? Absolutely, yes. And what does that mean? What does blockchain applications mean? I hear that all the time. I've been to events, financial events, and they say, well, yeah, we're in, in blockchain, and I'm, I'm looking at them, and I had no idea what they were talking about. What does that mean to a small business owner? One of the great aspects of blockchain application, what they're trying to say over here is that they're talking about uh, an aspect where you have a data storage, right? Which once modified cannot be tempered. So you have, I mean, to explain it in a very simple uh, layman terms, right? So as and when you do a transaction, a block is created, a block of data is created, and that block of data is appended to your existing data, which is available in your databases. So what happens here is that this is a very specialized database, right? Okay. Uh, which you cannot directly interact. So there is a permission mechanism to it. The best part here is that you cannot delete any data in the blockchain, which means that anything that you have done with the blockchain is permanent and it is stored. Other best part of the blockchain is that you have parties who contribute to this data. And these parties are uh, verified using a specialized certificates, right? Which is almost like a digital certificates that you have today, which ensures that 
only authorized individuals become part of these transactions. So on a safety, security, auditability, and from a regulatory aspect, most of the things are taken care of. Now, can this be applied to any kind of data? Say I have multiple small businesses because this is a small business show. Does it have to, this type of blockchain applications, can I secure my business with multiple employees at different locations? Could it be used to secure my business? I would suggest that it again depends. I will, it, it depends on the use case on or the business that you're into. So let's say you are into a very high regulatory business, right? So if your business needs regular yearly or probably every six months, there is an audit happening then you would definitely suggest that blockchain would be the right solution to keep all the audit trails, right? Because it gives great visibility for your auditors. All right. So if I have a business that is highly regulated or monitored, I was once in the fuel service, service stations and truck stops, highly regulated and monitored all the time. Would something that has that type of governmental interaction and supervision be a good way for me to keep track of what's going on within my system and cover my assets, as I like to call one of my segments? Absolutely. So uh, we have seen extensive use of blockchain, primarily in the the banking and the financial uh, organizations, right? They typically look forward today to use a blockchain system. There are reasons for it. It also because, as you rightly mentioned, that uh, the parties who are making the transactions, if at all uh, there is a regulatory restriction of who the parties are in a transaction, then a blockchain system is, is the right system which typically takes care of that, right? So that is one aspect. Other aspect is that there are a lot of times you have a fragmented database storing all your audit trials. A blockchain can be one audit trial or one uh, system that stores all your transaction-related data and can be a single reporting system, which you can easily expose to your regulatory body and which essentially makes your reporting much easier, seamless, and also, I mean, you will not have it's it also verifiable with... too. It's it's a permanent exactly. record, and reconciliation also becomes easier for you. Why aren't our government officials using this type of technology in maintaining their records? There's so much controversy going on within who did what. Why don't they use this to eliminate that suspicion or accusation? What I would suggest is that the government bodies should be definitely using it. Uh, I mean, uh, what we see here is that for land records, right, and purchase as well as selling of land in uh, at least in one of the uh, states in India, uh, we have seen one of the government actually implementing a blockchain system. What happens here is that your asset, uh, the deduplication of the assets, right? So. That doesn't okay. happen. And also, uh, there is no way somebody can create a fake agreement on an asset and get it executed. Well, that's probably why we don't see it in our government, is that there's no manipulation involved in it. At least that's what has seemingly going on here in the States. Moving, Wonderful. Moving on with this subject on how a small business could apply this. Are there businesses that have been created utilizing blockchain that a small business could say, you know what, I don't understand how it works, just make it work for me. Can that be done? 
Yes, definitely, John. So uh, there are a lot of services which are created on top of blockchain. I mean, when I say services, these are more like applications. For example, uh, a uh, maybe uh, raising of invoices, raising of uh, doing of uh, uh, primarily or purchase orders. Employee hours sound like one that would be excellent for this. Sounds like the old timestamp where you put your time card in, it stamps it. You can't fake that one. Absolutely, John. I think adding to that, I'll take a step back and say even a verification of the employees. So who they are and uh, basically their credentials, where they have worked with, their identity uh, and allied data, everything can be very easily verified using a, a blockchain system. Typically, if you see uh, roughly a organization spends uh, roughly 3 to $5 per employee, uh, okay. verifying each employee just for the purpose of verification of the documents and, and the data. So I don't know much about how it is done in states, but we have seen this happening in lot in the EPEC region where a lot of money is spent primarily to do the verification of the employee. And a lot of times this data is not available. So a blockchain system for the employees, uh, which is common and can be reutilized by multiple organizations, would save a lot amount of uh, money and cost for different organizations. That's something which we are seeing. Uh, that's something which is actually getting implemented, but it has to get implemented in a larger scale, which will definitely benefit every employer, big or small in size. Would you call this type of technology at the ground floor of opportunity for, like, I'm looking at this and my wheels are turning in my head, thinking this sounds like an opportunity for someone to provide a secure service for multiple small businesses through a subscription. Has that happened or where do you see this technology taking us? The perspective that you have put forward and the opportunity that you put forward is already getting utilized and uh, and as an as as we see, it's it's a growing opportunity. If it is a subscription-based system, what we can do is that we can provide a verified note to one of the employers. The employers can verify the employee uh, within that network. It's a it's it can be a consortium of companies coming together and doing it. Because what we see is that a person who is probably in a financial domain would move into a similar set of companies or when when they switch their jobs, right? So it's easier primarily for uh, verifying someone. And as you rightly said, if it is provided as a subscription-based service, then definitely there's going to be a lot of traction there. Very interesting. For me, I would say that the biggest obstacle that I've had in understanding blockchain is that I never knew what it meant. Now I have a very good understanding of it and I see the opportunity. There's also this thing called Ethereum. What is an Ethereum? And there's also, you know, the virtual machine or an EVM. How does that fit into the blockchain or does it? Ethereum, uh, I mean, what you see probably like uh, uh, one part is uh, is the largest cryptocurrency platform, right, uh, by market capitalization, right? Uh, just a little behind uh, Bitcoin. But what it is also is a decentralized open source blockchain, right, which features uh, primarily the smart contract functionality. So I think there are two aspects to it. Ethereum, uh, if you see, uh, is a currency, right? Right. When, when it's a currency, it's a cryptocurrency. But then behind it, this whole cryptocurrency is a framework. And as a framework, it's, it's a blockchain open source framework which runs this whole ecosystem. Now, this whole ecosystem can be utilized for not only cryptocurrencies, but it can be utilized for multiple other use cases. So I think that's something probably when you talk about Ethereum. 
but saying that there are multiple other providers in the market uh, like a hyperledger there there is also uh, coda which is from r3 so all of these are blockchain providers blockchain framework and blockchain service providers so what we need to understand is that what is our need and which of these service providers uh, would be the best one to adopt to so that's something which probably a specialized organization or individual like uh, like us who are who are deep who have who have dived deep into this blockchain technology uh, i mean we can help probably uh, to understand a bit, bit into the details of it well in this blockchain technology with ethereum and the biggest name in cryptocurrency is the bitcoin what value does bitcoin have or any type of these these digital currencies what value does that bring to a small business? How do you get it? And then once you get it, what do you do with it? If you talk about Bitcoin, right? So I would say this, that if you bought enough Bitcoin at the right time and would have sold them at the right time, right? Well, think... I've heard that about gold too. You know, <laughs> timing is everything. Right. Uh, so what do you do with it when you get it? I think I'll just give a bit of brief about Bitcoin, right? So Bitcoin was invented in 2008. So it is nothing but a decentralized digital currency without a central bank in place. But I think what we do understand is that because of the different peer-to-peer transactions, right, its value keeps on increasing. And of course, its value keeps on decreasing as well. Uh, depends upon a lot of how different governments across the world legitimize it or basically there are a lot of critics around it as well. So I think what we need to understand is that which country or which jurisdiction we are in and whether this is something which is a legitimate uh, or illegitimate currency, right? So that we need to understand. And then uh, probably the uh, rest of the things fall in place that whether we should do transactions with it or we should not do transactions with it. Also, I think the best thing would be to keep follow the exchanges. So if you follow the cryptocurrency exchanges, you, you have the know-how whether the, the value is increasing or the value is decreasing on daily basis or, or how is it. Think of it like you are purchasing a stock but this doesn't have a central uh, so stock when you're purchasing you know that there is an organization or a company behind it and you know that particular company if it does make right decisions the stock value is going to go high uh, right. when it comes to currency uh, you know that it's a government which typically uh, is supporting it but when it comes to uh, a bitcoin it's equally risky as a stock and also doesn't have uh, anything like a uh, like a like a currency so all you need to do is that you need to follow the market need to follow the jurisdiction and need to follow the exchanges to make better decisions it sounds like i'm trading my inventory for somebody else's inventory is there a cash value to this how do i use this to go buy goods and services all would depend upon uh, basically uh, your exchange whichever exchange or whichever uh, place you are going to buy this and how the exchanges work what is the conversion rate of bitcoin versus your your dollar so what you can do is that uh, you can buy them if the rates go high sell them make that benefit of uh, of the price uh, going higher at the end of the day there are multiple other options as well but pretty less though that there are places where you can buy things using bitcoins right sounds like almost like a club like a a barter club where there are those who within the organization can be trading the bitcoin for other goods and services that are within this club of sorts bitcoin or ethereum and and such yeah absolutely i mean you can uh, buy today probably you can buy even furniture laptops using bitcoin right 
Okay. So, I mean, no one is uh, is stopping you. But the point is that uh, how many options are there, right? So probably you have to uh, you have to check that, and which all places probably they are accepted. So if it is accepted uh, in uh, in as you rightly mentioned, if there is a group or a club where probably people are accepting it, then definitely you can use that to buy your things. But let's say if it is not getting accepted, then other ways to basically exchange it into cash and then buy it or exchange it into currency into an account and buy it. So it purely depends. So you have a Bitcoin, this digital currency or any other form of uh, currency. And if you want to cash out, there's always somebody there that will buy it. And it sounds like you sell it like gold. Gold may be at 1600 but you're not going to get 1600 for it because someone's going to come in and buy it at a discount. Is that how it works? I think there are different options, right? So for example, I think even uh, companies like Dell, uh, they started supporting BTC payments, right? Oh, wow. uh, but but I think uh, they had to drop it primarily because uh, the demand was pretty low. So there are options for doing that. Even if you heard about the payment company, payment processor for business like Stripe. Stripe basically used to support VTC, but they recently stopped it. So I think it's happening. Unfortunately, uh, there was quite a good hype about Bitcoins, but slowly uh, we are seeing a little bit of a dilemma in people and also uh, also that's happening. But yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, and that's again a different speculation game, which is there, right? Uh, would depend upon the different uh, government uh, regulatory authority as well as how uh, things rise. You can definitely trade with Bitcoin, buy stuffs, but yeah, there are chances that things might go high, go low over a period of time. Where do you see these digital currencies in five years? Well, I honestly, I'm someone probably who is optimistic, but I am cautious as well. So we have seen, I mean, I'll just talk about July month, right? So July month, things started roughly around, I mean, because July month statistics is something which I have handy. So July month, I think the, the prices have gone higher, right? So that's something which you have seen. I would say that I am cautiously optimistic. It has got quite a good acceptance, but unfortunately, uh, there has not been that much demand uh, because uh, of certain uh, governments not accepting it and certain governments not making it legitimized. But I'm hoping, I'm hopeful. Do you see influences, economic influences that would bring the digital currency to the forefront, whether it be recession, depression, inflation? If any one or combination thereof were to come to the table, would you see that this secondary or this digital currency would then come to better attention over time? What I see is that whenever probably there is a recession or a or, or probably a depression, uh, I think one of the key things that happens is that people become more and more cautious. And we, I mean, it's a normal trend that people start becoming risk averse. Right. Now, considering the, that fact, right, uh, what we see here is that in terms of investment, people then start, start looking for conventional methodologies. Now, uh, we want more control of the assets that we have. And whenever uh, we want more control, we want the assets to be available uh, very near to us, which you can touch and feel. And that's sure. where I think you, you see that gold or allied things going higher. Probably uh, uh, that's one of the reasons because gold has always been considered. I don't know why, but it's considered as one of the safest bet. <laughs> so I, I again uh, have seen different trends happening across the world this time where I have seen that with COVID coming in, 
uh, with uh, unemployment reaching uh, very, very high levels across the world, right? Uh, with job cuts happening, I have still seen people investing a lot, which I didn't see before. We're talking with Shub Nandi, and we went down the path of Ethereum and blockchain technology and those areas that many of us in small business, we hear of them, but we don't know what to do with them. And if you were at a cocktail party and someone says, oh, yes, I am involved in Ethereum and Bitcoin and these type of technologies, then you might take a step back. Now I step forward so that I can understand more, and I hope you will, too. Like barter, I see this coming into the forefront as time evolves and people have a better understanding, like myself and our audience now. Shubha, I want to talk about something that you are involved with and you are passionate about as an entrepreneur. You have this quest that involves your deep technology. Your quest is that you want to have achievable, sustainable compliance by the year 2025 in five years for 500 enterprises. Now, I've got to ask, what does that mean? I think just to uh, emphasize on what we mean by uh, sustainable compliance, right? Sustainability is all about helping our customers, A, uh, increase uh, the compliance confidence score of the organization. So that's the first goal that we have. The second most important thing that we try to do is that efficient utilization of regulatory capital. So that's the investment the organization does uh, towards making itself compliant with the different regulations of the land or the jurisdiction. And the third and the most important thing is that you don't want to increase your cost. So what you want intend to do is that you want to reduce your cost of compliance. And if you can do all these three things year on year, that means sustainability. So your cost is going down, you're efficiently utilizing your regulatory capital, and the most important, your overall confidence of compliance, right, is going higher. The score is going higher and higher. So that's what we are trying to help achieve uh, for enterprises. If we were at a meetup and you walked up and told me that you were involved in deep technology, what is it that I should be thinking about and what does that mean? What we are uh, primarily talking about here is we have to see technology as primarily an enabler. Now, when you talk about deep technologies, we are talking about technologies that are multi-layered, that have got fraction of intelligence factored into it. And this is something which is enabling to make better decisions, enabling to ensure that decisions are fair and explainable. And when you are making better decisions with systems that have factored intelligence to it, we are talking about AI. And when you are talking about explainable, fair systems, where decisions are transparent, we are talking about a blockchain-based system where uh, decisions are traceable, auditable, verifiable, as you mentioned last time. So we are talking about this kind of technologies, which not only adds a layer of code, but enable the whole decision management, enable the direction, adds intelligence, and ensures transparency in the system. So all this together, uh, we are talking about a system, which is deep tech. That is quite a mouthful. How would that type of technology, again, going back to my roots and my audience, if I came into your office and said, shoot, I want you to apply this technology, this business, this deep tech to a small business, who am I that would be coming to you for your work? What we always say here is that we will not 
burden you with a lot of technical jargon and we provide you uh, with the right uh, right tools and methodologies, right? So what we say over here is that, let's say uh, you are an organization which has to onboard your customers. And in this onboarding process, right, you uh, typically uh, have to verify your customers. Let's say you have to verify uh, the different identity documents, the address documents. You have to identify that whether the customer comes under any AML screenings like a PAP screening, or adverse media screening or sanctions, or you want to uh, protect your end customers from frauds, and you're looking for for advanced technology that would help safeguard your end customers' interest, also help you follow all the regulatory guidance, then we have all the tools available for you. And you also don't need to go deeper into deep tech because deep tech is already applied there. You just avail the benefits of it. So if I come in and I say I, I want to have this technology and, and have a more secure method of communication and record keeping, and I would go, Shub, help me, I'm having this problem. You could help solve that problem. Absolutely, John. I'd be extremely happy to serve you. And you wouldn't be overburdening me with how the tool works. You would just say just hopefully it would be plug and play. Absolutely, John. I mean, it's a single contract plug and play uh, modular system, which just uh, basically works on your works and showcases you the business benefits of the, the deep tech. Shub, I want to thank you for being on this serving of business soup. And I hope that you would come back and talk to us again about one of the other areas that you have dove into, and that is artificial intelligence. I'm fascinated by that. And that's what my family used to call my intelligence was artificial. Absolutely. Pleasure, John. And I have no doubt that why your uh, family uh, called you an AI, because I can see <laughs> someone uh, who is who is so, so much uh, inspirational to me because I, I have I have understood uh, from the conversation as well as uh, the different uh, decision points that you have made that definitely uh, you are the AI uh, human <laughs> being, right? So yeah, I mean, pleasure talking to you and would be happy to talk more on AI. I mean, because I am very much fascinated about AI and have been working day in and day out on AI systems. Uh, so we'd be happy to talk. It's a fascinating subject and where it's going is endless. And I'm always looking at how can the information that I'm receiving, such as the deep technology that we've spoken of, these subjects today, and I go, okay, how can that apply to a business? I'm a believer that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just need to know how to put a spoke in it and make that wheel turn smoother, faster, go further. And what you've described in our lengthy conversation today is ha having the ability for a business owner to put multiple spokes in their wheel and make their business work faster, smoother, and in compliance and have the records to prove it. Shub, thank you again for being a part of this serving of Business Soup. Thank you, John. Uh, pleasure talking to you and pleasure to be part of your podcast. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.